Man, after that, I don't know what to say. Holy smokes, man. Praise, praise, praise God. Right, church? Man, it is great to be back here with all of you this morning. Uh, again, we, as we continue to um, praise our awesome God and celebrate life change through his son, Jesus Christ. If you are new with this morning, welcome. Welcome to Vertical Church, man. We are stoked that you are with us, with us this morning. We hope that you enjoy your time with us. My name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Vertical Church. And uh, hey, hi, how you doing? Good morning. Um, again, we are excited to have you with us. We hope you enjoy your time with us. We hope you, when you walked in that you're made to feel welcome and wanted and you're willing to come back to be with us again as we chase this life, what it means to live for and live with Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, it's a great Sunday for us to gather, if you ask me. You know, to gather and celebrate what the church and scholars over the years has dubbed Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not sure what those terms mean, no worries, all right? No worries. Uh, We're going to be walking through them in our conversation this morning to reveal the truth of the story behind them and how this weekend impacts all of us directly every single day of our lives, and that includes you who are joining us online. You know, as we step into our conversation this morning, we're going to be looking at two different groups of people who completely missed what was taking place right in front of them. Uh, they, they had reached their own perception of who Jesus was, and it overshadowed the truth of why he actually came. And we're gonna, we, I call this like this idea of perception deception. Perception deception. And I think it's something every single one of us can grasp a hold of and we can relate to. Perception deception is this, is when our wants and our desires and our interpretations of a situation lead us to a false conclusion of what is true or the outcome that's going to take place. And I think it's a situation that we, or we've all been a part of. I think every single one of us has walked into a situation. I think we've walked into a room or an event or a conversation having an outcome already planned in our mind and our heads how it's going to be. Yes? yes? We've all been in that situation where we knew what was going to take place. We knew how it was going to take place. We knew what the end results were going to be and the process it would need to take to get us there. But at the end of that situation, at the end of that conversation, at the end of that stepping into the room, we walked out thinking the results were completely different than we expected. Am I the only one who's ever been in that situation? Raise your hands. Okay, there's like 17 of you are telling me the truth right now. Let's just be real. In the sports world, this is called an upset. They call it an upset. People have already placed an outcome on the event before it even takes place, based on what they know or what they think they know to be true. But when the other team wins, it's an upset. Okay, you're following me. You're following me. This idea of perception, deception also feeds into our relationships, right? There's, there's heartache because there's a breakup. Because in your mind, everything was going absolutely peaches and cream, you know, rainbows and unicorns, and you saw wedding bells, but that didn't happen. Or you're absolutely stoked, you're full of joy because there was a proposal. The whole time you're thinking, I have no idea where this relationship is going, I think we're going to break up, and and all of a sudden there's a proposal. You're like, snap, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) True story that happened with Stephanie and I 22 years ago. 
She thought I was breaking up with her and I was actually getting ready to ask her to marry me. But the whole problem was, is I was freaking out inside, right? <laughs> We've walked in arguments with our friends, our spouses, our coworkers, because what we perceived, what we really wanted, what we really desired, and that fed into the outcome that we were planning for, looking for. And when that doesn't happen, well, you know what happens then because you've all have been there. Truthfully, when it comes to your spouse, it's called the couch, right? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> all right, no, it wasn't. I just threw it out there. I wrote in this morning. I'll take it out of second service. <laughs> Our per- oh, thanks. <laughs> Our perceptions, our inner wants and needs and our desires too often overshadow the truth. Overshadow the truth of what is before us and we miss it. And unfortunately, we take this and we carry it right into our relationship with Jesus. But here's the thing, we're not the only ones. We're gonna look this morning, we're gonna see two, two different groups do the same thing. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to be starting at verse 28 this morning. Luke 19, verse 28, your Bible, your Bible apps, whatever you have. Um, the book of Luke, if you have a Bible in your hand, it's roughly three course through the Bible. Our, our Bibles are broken up in the Old Testament and New Testament. And when you find the New Testament, go back three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's right there, Luke 19, verse 28. As we stepped into scripture this morning, we're going to see that Jesus had just left Jericho. Very interesting, we talked about Jericho last week. And he was coming into Jerusalem. And he was headed there to celebrate what they call the Holy Week, or the week of the Passover for the Jewish people. Passover was a huge part of the Jewish history because it reminded them, it was a constant reminder, a yearly reminder of God's faithfulness, his rescue, and his redemption for his people. In fact, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper into this idea on Friday, our Good Friday service. It's at 7 p.m. It's on Friday. You can say it with me. Come on, say it with me. It's on Friday. At what time? Okay, I'll see you there, right? Oh, snap. He said it. Okay, we're going to be digging into this idea Friday at 7 p.m., getting that's the idea of Passover. But here we are, Luke 19, verse 28. Look up in the screen if you don't have the word with you in your hands. He says, after Jesus said this, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage at Bethany, he called hit the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Let's just stop right there. You, you got to love Jesus, right? I mean, I think he's the only one who could pull something like this off. Hey, listen, what I want you to do, I want you two guys to head into town. You're going to find someone else's donkey that is tied up, a colt. And I want you to just untie it and bring it back to me. And listen, listen, if they ask you what you're doing, just stop and say, hey, the Lord needs it. I mean, come on, right? That's crazy. But here's the thing. They did it, and it worked. I don't know about you, imagine this idea. Me walking up to your house, walking in your house, grabbing the car keys next to the door of you, and taking your car. 
right? I'm going to walk out and take your car. And you see me like, what in the world are you doing? Rich, why are you taking my car? And I'm going to look around and say, hey, the Lord needs it. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're, you're going to call 911, right? Or you're going to tackle me in your driveway. Or you're going to be chasing me down the driveway with your four iron, right? This is crazy. This is something only Jesus could do. But what seems kind of crazy and maybe even a little insignificant part of this story is really huge to our understanding what is taking place. You know, as I just mentioned, the Bibles are broken up into an Old Testament and a New Testament, two different testaments. And in the Old Testament, the very first book, the book of Genesis, uh, talks about the, how this idea of humanity, Adam, Eve, sinned, and they turned their back on God's authority and life. And they're ultimately tossed out of the Garden of Eden on their ears. And since that point, humanity has been separated to God because of sin. But intertwined for the rest of the Old Testament, through the rest of the Old Testament, is this theme of redemption. That God shared over and over again that he was going to send the one to restore that broken relationship with his people. That he would be a bridge back to God and be, we could be with God for all eternity. And what's pretty awesome, if you think about it, when you're looking back to this, their, their hope or their redemption was looking at the Messiah to come. For us right here, right now, our, we're hoping our Messiah was the one who already came. And he's coming back. Right? Amen? They were looking forward. We are looking back. That redemption, that bridge would be created by the king who created a kingdom that would last forever, and that is King Jesus. In fact, look on the screen in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, talks about this. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly riding on a donkey, a colt of the foal of a donkey. Now, this is this what is pretty cool about this verse. It's pointing to King Jesus' arrival. But it's even better than that is this verse was written over 500 years before what we're reading in Luke right now, this morning. Pointing to God is faithful. He keeps his promises. Reminding us of that. I mean, shoot, I can't remember what I text Stephanie this morning, let alone 500 years ago what took place. But God had a plan. The significance of this can't be missed. God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God who's faithful in all things. He said he would send the one, and he did just that. But this is where missing the mark of who Jesus is and why he came starts to take place. See, the symbolism of the cult is huge. In this time in history, kings, would, when they would ride in a town, they'd either ride on horses or donkeys. Horses signify a time of war, that they were getting ready to go to battle. Donkeys, when they came in, to signify there's going to be a time of peace. By the way, what was Jesus riding again? Yeah, I just wanted to see if you're following along with me. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks down on the road and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down into the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Just stop there again. This is where this idea of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry comes into play in the church world. 
See, in the book of, books of Matthew and Mark, just before this, the branches, they were, said they were throwing down branches as well, and along with the cloaks. And those branches were most likely palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. And they were walking with the colts, and they recorded the crowd shouting. In, this, in the other two chapters, the other two books, it says, Matthew 21, verse 9 on the screen, it says, Hosanna. This is what they're shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heaven. This is these two guys writing their, their observation of what took place at that moment as well. And Hosanna in Hebrew simply means save, we pray. Help, we pray. So this crowd was literally proclaiming that their helper, their savior, was on the scene. Their king who came from the line of King of David to save his people was here. That is what they were seeing. In fact, here's a couple, picture, here's a couple pictures of what it would look like when he was coming down. Can you show them that if you would, please? So this is what it looked like him coming off the Mount of Olives, coming into Jerusalem as you're looking down. I don't know who those people are taking pictures, but they kind of got in the way. Um, <laughs> I wasn't there, this is not my picture, otherwise I would have asked him to move. But okay, next picture, looking up, They're kind of looking up, so you can see, imagine Jesus coming down this pathway and cloaks being thrown down and palm branches down and people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses the one who comes name in the Lord. The crowd was cheering for Jesus. That's one group. And there's another group of people that was just there and they started speaking up. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees, there are the other group. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, I, I gotta step back because I absolutely love this verse. Even if, even if my people shut their mouths, the stones are gonna cry out of who I am. Think through the imagery of what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. What do you sound like gets in the grasp? What was Jerusalem built on? Stones. What was you just seeing all those pictures? Those two stones. Okay, just in case you don't get it, Pharisees. If I, if I tell my people to not say a word or speak about me, you are literally surrounded by stones that will cry out in praise in my name. So you just think I, I created the people, but I created the entire universe. And the scripture says in Romans that the, the world is groaning because it wants to be back to its perfection the way it was in the Garden of Eden. So they are praising Jesus too. They're, they're like, come on, come on, Jesus, come back. Make things right. We just sang this morning, yeah. right? Praising God, singing, we will not let the stones cry out in our place. In a world that's rejecting Jesus more and more, we need to proclaim Jesus more and more. Even in the early church, when the, the church was born, in the middle of their opposition, which was such hardship in the first century, and this idea of what it meant to follow Jesus, they call out to God for strength to proclaim Jesus. Look at this, Acts 4, verse 29. It says, now the Lord, consider their threats. They're being threatened. And enable your servants to speak the word of God with great boldness. 
Church, one day every knee, every tongue will bow, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But until that day, we are called to proclaim him. Even when people tell us to zip it, let me just tell you about my Jesus. Jesus changes everything. So here we are, two groups. Two groups of people, one cheering Jesus on. I mean, these, guys, these people are the Jesus fans. They, they been, they've been healed, they've been fed, they've seen Jesus cast out demons, they heard all about the amazing miracles that he had done, and they wanted more. They wanted more Jesus. Now, this is probably absolutely wrong, but every time I picture this, I wanted like this cheer. Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. <laughs> But in their mind, in their perception, they had this idea that Jesus was going to come right now and establish an earthly rule in their day and free them from the Roman oppression or from Roman rule. Because see, at this time in the first century, Jewish nation was under the thumb of the Romans. And they were shouting, yeah, baby, here comes our king. Here comes our warrior king has come to overthrow the Roman government and gain the freedom that we're looking for. That's what they're perceiving what Jesus was going to do. Now, the second group of people were the religious leaders today, the Pharisees. These guys were in charge of all the ceremonial and tradition aspects of the Jewish faith. They kind of wrote the rules when that came about. There were the spiritual and religious authorities of the day. They weren't so excited about Jesus. Jesus ruined their system. Jesus challenged their man-made rules. Jesus knocked them off their their position of self-exalted positions. They didn't want him to be king. In fact, they rejected him as king. When Pontius Pilate had Jesus nailed to the cross, he put a sign above there, and that sign said, here is Jesus, the king of the Jews. These religious leaders rejected that. He said, don't you dare put that sign up there. That's who he says he is. That's not who he is. They wanted Jesus gone. Because he was giving too much attention. And Jesus was calling out the hypocrisy of the religion of that day. Saying, you missed it. You missed it. Now, if I was Jesus, and I'm not, if I was Jesus, and I was there, and I heard the crowd celebrating and going crazy and going down, and palm branches being thrown, and cloaks going down, and people shouting, and like this is exciting, I'd be like, yeah, come on, bring it on. I mean, we're going to have a celebration. It's going to be a great day. You're all invited. Picnic at my house. Hamburgers, hot dogs, you know, we're going to have potato salad, cold refreshing iced tea. Sweet tea because I'm in Indiana. I'm sorry. <laughs> Beth Schmidt says she doesn't make dirty water for me. Um, I like regular tea. But I would have been celebrating. 
Like, they get it. Here we go. It's on. But you have to see Jesus' response. Look at verse 41. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept over it. Now, weeping is not just some little cry. Like, it's an out loud pouring out this deep emotion of grief. And he said, if you even, you, even you, that's emphatic for a purpose, understanding that it's pointing to us and to them, had only known this day would bring you peace, but is now hidden from your eyes. The days have come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you and to the ground and, to, and you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus wept? What? I don't get that. The people were shouting. They were celebrating his triumphal entry. When we read this, we are like, weeping just doesn't make sense. Until you realize that both these groups missed it. They simply missed the significance of this moment because their wants, their desires, their interpretations of the situation led them to a false conclusion, what is true and what the outcome was going to be. See, in a moment of great celebration, Jesus wept over the city because he knew what was coming. He knew that his people would reject him and turn away. And eventually Jerusalem in 70 AD would experience this great destruction. Jerusalem, the place where God was supposed to be. But more missing that moment as I look back and I read and I study and I pray, I think they missed the whole reason why Jesus came. Jesus made it clear that he had a mission, that him coming to live among us, God with us, Emmanuel, was not to give them political freedom. It wasn't to provide for their every need and desire they wanted. It wasn't to be their great food distributor. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were separated from God. He came to offer forgiveness for sin, to save people from their sin. He came to provide a way for humanity to be reunited, brought back into the right relationship with God. That is why Jesus came. But because they had perception deception, their personal wants, needs, and desires, interpretation was fueling their life. Because they already made up in their mind who their Savior was and what he was going to do. The truth that was, when the truth was absolutely revealed to them, they rejected him. The crowd wanted freedom from Rome. What they needed was freedom from sin. They wanted Jesus to change their quality of life. 
but Jesus came to be their life. And the religious leaders, well, Jesus was just a threat to their way of life. They didn't want to change what they were doing because they loved what they were doing. They certainly want to lose their social status as they're standing on their own soapbox and saying, hey, look at me. I mean, come on, they were the ones that should have been seeing Jesus come in the first place. They knew the scripture better than anyone. Their eyes should have been open thinking, oh, there he is. But in a few short days, this jubilant crowd were all, yay, Jesus. And this disgruntled religious leaders would be screaming and shouting a whole different set of words. And it'd be something like this. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. They went from Jesus, Jesus, you're our man, to put him on the cross, take him out. We want nothing to do with him. Why? Because they missed it. They missed the reason and the purpose of Jesus. They missed the why he came. Jesus wept over the city because he was getting ready to give his all of himself for them. Because then he realized they only wanted to give part of themselves to him. Friends, Jesus didn't come to be a part of our life. Jesus came to be our life. He didn't come, in our, come here to be compartmentalized in the areas of our lives that we want to just let him work, that we feel comfortable him working in. Many times we want Jesus to show up in our lives just to fix our problems. We want him to step in and magically have these disturbances disappear. Just, just like he did with the, the, the fish and the bread and magically multiplied to appear to, appear to feed over 5,000 people. And when Jesus doesn't do what we want, when Jesus doesn't do what we have perceived that he needs to do in our lives, man, we are tempted to walk away. When Jesus doesn't do all these things in our life how we want it to be, we're tempted just to act like these and say, no, no, get away from us. You're messing with my lifestyle. We also act like these religious leaders. We don't want Jesus messing with our lifestyle. We have our life just the way that we want it. Come on, I worked 49 years to get my life just the way it is. Why would we want Jesus stepping up and messing all that up? Here's the thing. As Jesus was riding in, he was riding to his death. He was headed to the cross to offer his life as a ransoming, redeeming, reconciling sacrifice for us. 
Christ, the sinless one, had come bear the punishment for the sins of the world. He came to live and die and rise from the grave. Not only conquering sin, but conquering death. So we could do the same by believing and surrendering our lives to him. Oh, it's true that Jesus is king. He is the king, the king of kings. And that king didn't come just to be the part of life that you want him to work in, part of life you want him to fix in. He came to be your whole life, to be your life. Our walk with Jesus, church, is just not just a part of us. It's all of us. Christianity is a wraparound lifestyle. There's not one part of us that's outside of our relationship with Jesus. Don't let your perception of Jesus miss the purpose of Jesus in your life. And what I love about this is right here, right now, we have an opportunity to be a third group. A third group, one that's fully committed to Christ. One who recognizes that Christ came as a son of God who saved us from our sin and he gave his life for us so we can give all of ourselves back to him. Where we believe, where we proclaim, where we live, Jesus is my life. I want to be a part of that group. I don't want my inner personal desires, which are crazy, my wants. I don't want that, any of that to overshadow what Jesus has done for me. And I hope you don't want that for you. I say let's be the third group. Jesus is my life. Say that with me. Jesus is my life. Say it again. Jesus is my life. One more time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And Father, right now we want to praise you and thank you for Jesus. As we enter into this Easter season, let us celebrate. Let's shout for joy and praise for what he has done for us. But let us never miss the point that Jesus came to be our lives, our whole life. And if we hear this morning, you're watching online and you have, like I do at times, this inner desire, this wants, this needs and perceptions of what we think Jesus needs to do, God, I pray that we just throw it on the ground today, throw it at the feet of Jesus and let it be washed away. Because it, has, it creates that barrier that we talked about in that last series. We can't have that. 
What Jesus did is way too important to let our own small, finite minds get in the way of the truth. And maybe you're here this morning, man, you're going to be entering this Easter season in a whole different way because you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. You've always looked at Jesus as this moral figure that people have talked about all your life and people have shared with you, but you're here today because someone loved you so much they invited you to come and hear the truth of Christ. And maybe today is a day that you're just going to surrender it all to him. And what a beautiful day that would be. The best day of your life. Because Jesus changes everything. So right now I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And I have church, I have no idea what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your life. When you walk out those doors and you're faced with the realities. But if there's something going on you want to be prayed for, prayed with, prayed over, come forward. Remember, Jesus is your life. He wants all of you as he gave all of himself for you. And if you're with that one or two or three people in the room, I can't believe that there's someone, not someone in this room who doesn't, that needs to make it right with Jesus Christ this morning. And you're ready to surrender and give your life. You hear about this hope in Christ, eternal life with God, reconciled relationship. I want to ask you to come forward. Come forward and talk to our prayer team. Let them speak the truth of Scripture into your life. Let them be there with you as you pray and surrender your life and walk over the threshold of from death to life with Jesus. God, Help us keep laser focused on you, your love for us, and your son, Jesus Christ. Let this church be a beacon of hope that shares that hope, that Jesus changes everything. As we look to Good Friday, as we look to Easter, may God keep our eyes open for the opportunity to invite someone to come and join us to hear all about you. You receive all the glory all the praise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless church. Have an amazing week. We'll see you Friday.